Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I'm Mike. I'm recovering sexaholic. Glad I'm here sober tonight through God's grace and you people. Um, Tom let us know a few weeks ago that uh, he's moving to another city in a few months. And uh, I can't tell you how much we're going to miss you, Tom. What a great what a great guy. So thanks for the intro. In 1948, my grandfather walked about two blocks from his home to a bridge and jumped off and died. He was an alcoholic. He was grieving the loss of his 19-year-old son five years earlier, who was in the seminary studying to be a Catholic priest here for the Archdiocese of Chicago. I learned a little bit more about that story today, and I'd like to dedicate what I have to say tonight to two family members, two cousins. One is a young man who suffered a massive heart attack about two months ago at the age of 45 and uh, lived uh, but is uh, dealing with a lot of cognitive brain damage stuff. And he's not all gone, but he sure as hell isn't all back either. And um, the tragedy of it from where I'm sitting is he's one of the most giving, loving people uh, that I've ever met. So I'd like to keep him in my thoughts and prayers. And then another cousin of mine uh, happens to be in the room, and I'm going to leave her nameless because I'm not sure she'd appreciate this or not, but I don't care that much, which I don't know if that's good or bad. But um, in Nashville, I think it was a year and a half ago. Is that when the last Nashville was? I, I, I get the times all mixed up. In Nashville, I'm walking down the hall, and there's my cousin, and she made her way into Essanon, and uh, we had lunch today, and uh, she just shed a little more light on, on our history uh, in our family, and I'm uh, really, really thrilled that she's here. So although I'll do my best uh, to not say her name and leave her to her anonymity, I'd like to dedicate my words to her and my young male cousin, I'm not sure why I mentioned the story about my grandfather, except to say that it's remarkable to me that my cousin and I are here tonight because that tragedy never talked about. I mean, I didn't know about it till I was 20-some years old, and I wasn't sure till I was 40 because there were different stories floating around. Um, that tragedy marked my father and my cousin's father, and my other cousin's father. And, um, and uh, you know, so another member of my family who's here, my brother, 
said today, after listening to the leads, he said, you know, this is serious business. And, uh, you know, you hear people talk about, you know, I was totally blown away by Amy's lead this afternoon. And I went over and thanked her a little earlier because um, when she talked about uh, violence in her home, I was sexually sober more than 10 years, maybe 15, and I was still acting out my rage, not on like a super regular basis, but much like my father, I didn't rage that often, but when I did, I made up for all the days that I didn't. And when my son was eight years old, he walked into the bathroom because he heard me threatening to kill my wife. Now, I don't think I was really going to, but I don't know for sure, and I never have hit my wife, but if there would have been a time, that would have been it. And this eight-year-old kid walked in and looked at me like, you better not, you're going to have to come through me. And that was a, a very powerful experience. And as some of you know, I've been working a rage program of sorts for about 10 years now. And I'm sober from rage for three years and four months. And um, and that's that's a good start. That's an indirect amend. What I what I learned from Amy today was that I need to make a direct amend to my son soon, and I will. Thank you. Um, this is serious business. And for me, as a sexaholic, my problem wasn't a lack of hope. Frankly, getting hopeless was the best thing that ever happened to me. My problem was false hope. That this time maybe it would be different. That this time maybe I'd just look but I wouldn't touch. That this time maybe I'd keep my promise that if the cover charge to the latest porno shop was more than $10, I wouldn't go in because I was pretty cheap. Um, in fact, the only time I ever violated a financial boundary in my entire life was if it was around lust. So my problem wasn't a lack of hope. It was false hope. I think there's another kind of hope that's a problem in, if you want to recover from sexaholism, and that's called cheap hope. This isn't easy. Hoping isn't wishing. Now, there's a lot of people in and out of these rooms tonight that I've met in Sexaholics Anonymous who wished for something different, who hoped for something different. I don't think that's what Sweet Hope Chicago means. I don't think that's the kind of hope we're talking about. I hope that my cousin didn't really have a heart attack. Well, great, but that's a false hope. That's just denial. He did. I hope that tomorrow he'll be perfect and I won't have to deal with the grief I'm experiencing. That's a false hope. <laughs> it means nothing. Um, a real hope, for me, oftentimes is the hope against hope. The real miracle. The real miracle is when you have no hope and you finally realize it and only then maybe can something change. You know, the real miracle was after that incident with my son, there was 
one more a couple years later in which I grabbed him he was about 13 by this point and he had done some things that many 13 year olds should do with uh, do do with their father but shouldn't do and I reacted as many fathers shouldn't do but do I grabbed the kid I don't know if I'd have hit the kid I never got the chance because my wife physically pulled me down the stairs And I woke up the next morning and said, I'm hopeless. I'm sober. I can, I can count you the millions of trillions of programs I'm sober in, but I'm not sober in this one. And I was hopeless. Thank God. Because as long as I had some hope that I could single-handedly master alcohol, lust, rage, my obsessing about anything or anybody at any time, as long as I held on to one shred of hope. I had no chance at this life that Harvey so joyfully described this evening. But once I could say, I'm hopeless. And you know, you only want to do that once or twice in your life. You don't want to do it three or four times. There's only so many days in a week, and there's only so many programs you can go to. You, don't, you only really want, you don't want to do it at all, but once is enough. But I did it. I did it one more time. I, I grabbed a member. He's in this room tonight. And I said, we got to do something different directly about anger. And I know this is not that program, but I, I'm, I'm talking about it because it's the truth of my experience tonight. I couldn't hear Amy's talk and not talk about it. It's kind of... Maybe a paradox, I don't know. But this is serious business. And yet, I'm as happy as I've ever been. This is serious business. And I'm talking about some of the most painful experiences of my life. But there is nowhere on the planet I would rather be right now than here. If you would have told me when I was 15 or 20 years old that someday I would be a sexaholic and be happy about it, I would have told you, you belonged in a nut house. But it's the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. And I got good news and bad news. There are many spiritual and religious traditions that claim that God is a parent of some sort. Mother, father, parent, whatever. Um, there are even people of no religious tradition who still believe that there is a power greater than ourselves that is parental in some way. Now, I don't know if this is true. I believe it, but I don't know if it's true. But if it's true, the good news is you're my brothers and sisters. The bad news is, whether you like it or not, I'm your brother. (laughs) And there's not a damn thing you can do about it. So there's some people in this room, they don't like me. And after 15, 25 years of recovery, I'm almost over it. <laughs> Talk to me in about another decade. But it doesn't matter. And I know they say, especially in Essendon, what other people think is none of my business. Well, then I better join Essendon because I'm a failure at that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 
I'll see where I can squeeze you into my calendar. <laughs> but, we're, but we're brothers and sisters. And the joy, I think, that Harvey described is the joy of us learning. And this is what I've learned at St. Teresa's. It's the joy of us learning to dig deeply into one another's lives, to care deeply about one another. Um, and to make some mistakes along the way, but to take the risk to make the mistakes because we love each other. I said in an earlier meeting today how important boundaries were, but that in learning to keep them, uh, they can also be hidden behind as a way of not getting involved in one another's lives. And the joy for me is how deeply involved I am in so many of your lives. It's a thrill. I'm looking at a guy now. I knew him for years in another, another area of life. And, I, and I, from the day I first met him, I just had this feeling about him, and I didn't know what it was. And then he popped into our program, and then just as almost as quickly he popped back out, and he popped back in, and he popped back out, and I'd see him for a while, and I wouldn't see him for a while. And I always just had this feeling, and I didn't know what it was. And then he came and he stayed. And then he almost left. He was talking to me about it today or yesterday, and he said he almost left, and we, we had a check meeting, which is what we do sometimes when sponsors are having trouble with sponsees and need a little help. And, uh, and then after this check meeting, something happened, and he got this thing. And now I sponsor him. And we do a bunch of other stuff together. His son worked, I'm sorry, my son worked for him. And um, I handle some stuff for him and his wife. And it's a thrill. You know, it's a thrill. I was talking about a wedding in one of the sessions earlier today. One of the member's daughters got married. And he invited me and my wife to the wedding, which was such an honor. And uh, afterward... Or during the reception, I, it was in a hotel in, in the suburbs, and I went over and I, 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 I got a room. I said, you got any rooms left? They said, yeah. And I said, is there a special rate for the wedding? This really has nothing to do with my talk, but I saved some money, and I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and, um and, and my wife and I were sexually intimate that night, and it was... It was a celebration, it was a continuation of the celebration of this wedding, of this marriage, of weddings, and of marriages, and of life. And it was generative. It was truly, if you will, making love. That's real different from when I first met my wife, before she was my wife, and I said, you got to go to a porno with me, you just have to. And then, you know, we're in the back seat of a car, having the most miserable sexual experience in the history of the world. And, you know, I'm driving her home, and I'm even thinking, this is messed up. I don't know what, I'm sure she thought it was messed up, but even I knew it was messed up. Something's changed. My life is really sweet today. I'm in love with my wife, who I had hoped would be here tonight, but she's sick. Her name is Kathy, by the way.
I'm in love with her. I was at dinner with Harvey and Nancy the other day. My wife stepped away to go to the bathroom, and I forget how we got into it. If somebody said something about she's a nice lady, or I don't remember what happened, but the next thing I knew, I was crying at the table, telling these guys how happy I was to be married to Kathy. I have a 21-year-old son, and I'm sometimes a little overcritical. And, you know, when I was 21, I was drinking, lusting, raging. I was a mess. I knew nothing about life. Zero. My son says things like, well, Dad, I know you were worried about the alcoholism thing, but I just think it's a sin to purposely drink to get drunk. So I do drink once in a while, but I don't want to get drunk. It's not right. And I look at him and I just think, what the hell is this? (laughs) I got a 15-year-old daughter. If I start talking about her, it's all over. (laughs) I've told her that when she hits 18, I'm locking her in the room until she's 30. (laughs) This is my dating plan for her. (laughs) At that point, any suitor must be interviewed by my three brothers. And if they pass that test, then they see me. I'm just kidding in a way, I hope. (laughs) Um, But she's, she's happy, she's healthy, she's a much better athlete than I ever was, and it's a ball going to watch her. She runs cross country in the fall, plays basketball in the winter, and plays softball in the spring, and you know, it's just a ball. It's just a ball. I'm having a ball, and I want you to know I'm having a ball. This is serious business. But if we do the business, then we have a ball, you know? I mean, Harvey and I, all we do anymore is either laugh or cry. We've just, we're, we're, we got, not, we, 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 I'm not sure we got that much left in the tank, Harvey. But um, <laughs> the joy of working with sexaholics, whether it be at these conventions or retreats or whatever, whether it be every Wednesday night, yeah. It's a thrill. I I can't explain my loyalty and my devotion to you. I can't explain it. Um, But it just, it doesn't have to be this way. It it doesn't, it it never was this way. I had fun in my life. I had good times. And in some ways I was a decent guy. And quite frankly, in some ways I wasn't. but, But it wasn't like this. And it's not a lack of sadness. I have sadness all over the place. And the joy, if this makes any sense to you whatsoever, is the joy is that when I'm sad, I'm just sad. I don't need to do anything about it except live my life. So, I don't know. The the, the sweetness of it all is, you know, uh, I have a great fear of death. I was talking to one of my sponsees, and he was saying, I don't fear death. I do. I think it's got to do with my father dropping dead one day suddenly of a heart attack at age 57, and I'm 53, and I literally sit at night and calculate. Well, let's see. If I last as long as my dad, am I 90% done or 88? (laughs) Powerless over-obsession. It's this great gift. We're here. We're alive. 
Some of us are sober and sane in this program. Some of us are here to get that way, and some of us may have been trying for years and haven't found it yet, but we're here. And we don't have to be. And some of us are happy, and we don't have to be. And most of us weren't. Something happens when we admit complete defeat. When we are hopeless, God gives us hope. A power greater than ourselves enters this whole operation and changes everything and turns it upside down. And when that happens, this is the best deal on the planet. And it can happen for anybody in this room. Because there are butts all over this room. Yeah, Mike, but I'm mentally ill. Yeah, Mike, but whatever. I don't know. Whatever your butt is. I can't swear, but it's, it's wrong. <laughs> Anybody can get sober. Anybody can get sane. That's how you do it. It's got to be done together. It can't be done alone. And somehow, when we enter deeply into one another's lives, it is sweet. Thanks. <laughs>